Welcome to Piecing It All Together. I'm Randy Woodley. I'm Bo Sanders. We are piecing it all together with you. And if you had a chance to listen to episode 20, Randy got to participate in a question and answer, a Q&A time uh, as part of one of his lectures, and we'll talk about that in a second. And today, we're going to go through those same five questions, but in dialogue with each other, because... I'm curious if you would say anything different now, you know, that you had time to reflect on it, and and I have some questions I want to chip in with some stuff, so uh, we're excited that you're here, and um, we're thankful for the feedback that we're getting. Episode 20 is getting more feedback than probably any episode we've put out so far. Yeah, let us know why, because we're slow on the uptake. (laughs) Episode, those two episodes were specifically at the Stoudemire Lecture series, right at uh, Western Theological Seminary, which is a, a CR or RCA, uh, Reformed Church of America, and uh, just wonderful, wonderful people. I was actually quite surprised, huh? Um, and uh, and not disappointed in any way. You know, maybe to say it like this, they treated my wife and I like we were rock stars. Wow! Know? And they were just went out of their way to be nice and thoughtful, and and uh, we just we loved being there. Um, it was a, a more uh, intellectually challenging, theologically challenging conference. And so, uh, you know, I kind of had to put on the dog a bit there. Mm. And uh, at, the, uh, at the other conference, the Rooted and Grounded, I tried to stay a little more rooted and grounded. But, um, but uh, yeah, it was, uh, um, it was challenging. Uh, there were some great questions, um, mm. which I think we heard in the other segment. Yeah. And um, and I appreciated the people so much. So, yeah, it was great to be there. So you went uh, to Michigan first and then down to Indiana. So on episode 21, we heard you at uh, the, the Mennonite um, Seminary in Elkhart, Indiana. Right. And that was that Rooted and Grounded conference you were talking right. about. Right. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, Stoudemire is really the Stoudemire Lectures on Diversity. Oh. Uh, which were started by a Reverend Stoudemire. Get this. Are you ready? This is a wonderful story. Okay. I'm not going to tell the story here because I don't know it well. But but Stoudemire was a African-American missionary to Holland, Michigan in 1947 who started a multiracial church. Is that right? Now, just that, if you know the history, that yeah. alone is mind-boggling. No, yeah, it's... And, and uh, these lectures were named in his honor, huh. and uh, uh, I think uh, some of his uh, um, descendants maybe were the ones who were responsible for that. But uh, That is amazing. Yeah. You know, sometimes when you're not a part of a group and you hear, like, Reformed, you immediately, it conjures up an idea, and you immediately think you know what you're dealing with. Right. And it's the same with Pentecostal or whatever. But then when you're actually in it, you realize not only is there a great diversity within that group, but that there are some stories and some nuances that if you're not a part of the group, you just, you don't know. Yeah. Like, and that happens like when people talk about Christians, you know, it's like (laughs) once, once in a while you get some pretty decent people, you know, it's a wonderful surprise. Oh yeah. I guess so. (laughs) All right. So uh, I wanted to go through these questions with you. There are five, and I thought it would be fun to sort of visit each of them again. I want to say to our listeners that um, if this first one seems a little nerdy, don't worry. We won't spend too much time on it, and uh, just give it five minutes. You might actually think it's interesting by the time we're done, and then there are four more questions. So I just don't want to lose you just because the first question was super nerdy. Are you about to nerd out? A little bit, yeah. Okay. So this guy uh, asked about process thought or process theology. And 
it was an interesting question because he did say that one of his concerns is even though it's different than sort of classical Christianity or theology, that it was still from a dualistic either or um, perspective. So that was one thing he, he said. Uh, and the other thing he said is that, you know, he would be more interested in it, except that he's afraid that it would lead to him being excluded or, you know, critiqued or, right, that he's afraid that it's because it's not widely sort of accepted. Yeah, didn't want to be like a Bo Sanders. <laughs> you know, so here's two things I really connected with in his um, question is, you know, I think it's important for people to know right off the bat, I don't subscribe to process thought, but it even, is, even though you're, you're, you were challenged with it constantly, right? Yes. So, but it is my favorite thing to talk about oh. that. I don't believe it. There's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing I like talking about more than process thought that I don't actually believe in. Okay. That's it is great. such a fascinating model. So it has a real upside, which is that it accounts for and, uh, evolves um, from some of the problems of Christian history, it takes care of those problems. That's its a great upside. Mm-hmm. Its great downside is that it is such a different operating system and a different vocabulary and a different way of thinking that you actually have to go through a full conversion experience mm-hmm. and you will lose your network because people don't know what you're talking about. It doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound like what they're used to. And it does alienate you a little bit. So it sounds like it's somewhat like an exclusive club. It is exclusive. It very much is exclusive, which is ironic because it's technically called process relational thought. (laughs) And and the relational is supposed to connect us to each other more. Okay. The thing is, it has such a big upside. So here's the upside. If you know anything about Christianity or Christian history, you know that there's one, at least one core problem rooted at the very foundation stone, which is that Christianity is based in a very old Greek philosophy. And that Greek philosophy is very concerned with what we call substance, right? So in the old language, it's called usia. And so there's all this debate about, well, is, is Jesus... The same substance as God, the homo usia, same substance, but then how can he be fully human because can a substance be two different things? And these like debates that we've inherited that go nowhere, right, and are never truly resolved, and in the end we just chalk them up to holy mystery. Well, those debates ended up coming to their kind of peak, their climax, in this guy named Descartes. And Descartes has an either-or position Um, between a mind, thought, and body. And that has become the operating system of the Western world. It's called a Cartesian dualism. So, yeah, and I agree with you because you have me at homo homo lucius. (laughs) Yes. Uh, So, okay, so the the heart of this question is about dualism, and I know that's where you're headed. Um, Do you liken uh, Descartes' model to Plato's cave? Um, it probably, yes. I mean, it's probably in that same genealogy, that same family. By the way, eh, 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 nerd alert. Okay, we're going to get off this in just a minute. Yeah, yeah. But the problem, and you're always criticizing this problem, which is that, that Descartes, that Cartesian thing, a lot of Western white folks 
think have a, a model that says, well, you know, thought or spirit, right, is like what's really important, and the physical world isn't that important, right? This has, you know, manifested in history in really damaging ways. Absolutely. So process thought goes a completely different direction, and 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 actually incorporates like after Einstein a totally different view of how the world really works. And so instead of being concerned about substances or foundations, like if you boil something down to its lowest common denominator, process says the truest thing in the universe is how one thing relates to another thing. Okay. So that's where it gets process relational thought. The other thing that it compensates for is in church history, we've made God into a bit of a static monster. Mm-hmm. We've said God is, and it's always a he, that he is omnipresent, omnipowerful, and omniscient. Three omnis and two ims. Impassable, meaning God can't experience pain. And secondly, God is immutable. God doesn't change. So these five things, the three omnis and the two ims, that's kind of what we call God. And and what I like about process is that it challenges that. Yeah. It says God is not omnipotent, omnipotent, in the same way that, like, you know, it's not coercive power, it's the power of love. So let's not call God almighty or omnipotent, but let's say God's all loving. Mm-hmm. So they start messing with it. But they also say, look, the simple fact is you cannot read the story of the Hebrew Testament and the story of Christ's passion and say God is impassable, that God doesn't suffer. You can't do that. Whatever whatever Greek God you've based this on is not the God of Christian Testaments. Right. The second thing is that God changes you see that God changes. God is impacted by God's world and God's creation. Mm-hmm. So God's not immutable or impassable. So those aren't true. It's a brilliant way of correcting some really deadly things that have been said of God throughout church history and Christendom. Right. And that colonial permission for violence in God's name. Mm-hmm. So it's a wonderful upside. So is it dualistic? No. Here's the the great thing about it. Because it's relative, Mm -hmm. it's all about the process, it gets out of the binary by everything that seems to be oppositional is is put in what's called a dipolar Mm -hmm. uh, tension. So God's, they call it, this is process thought, God's um, primordial nature, God's character, and God's consequent or consequential nature, how God acts, is impact so God's nature never changes, but how? But God's reality is impacted by God's creation interacting and being related to God's creation. Okay. So it's not a difference between mind and spirit. It's that, um, like in the right, that Cartesian thing, that it's actually all integrated and all impacted by every other element. So that was the one thing I thought I wanted to just bring to the table to say to that man who asked you that question is don't be afraid of it because it's um, a binary because it actually has a mechanism within it that that integrates instead of separates. Yeah. Well, and all binaries aren't dualistic, right? Right. But this dipolar thing that it does is really um, it's really fruitful. And it gets you out of so many of the problems okay. that, that we that you and I want to get out of. And so like somebody like a John Cobb, who you guys mentioned, you know, his parents were missionaries to Japan. He was born in Japan. 
So even though he's a Methodist and an English speaker, so he has some Western stuff built in, right, with the dualism, but because he's influenced by the Buddhist tradition, it, it actually really influences his entire project. So there's a lot of cool people. Uh, like Monica Coleman is, I mean, she's doing amazing work in process thought as a, as a womanist theologian. So um, making um, a way where there seems to be no way. Oh, I know that's not the right title of a book, but um, okay. I can list it in the show notes. I can get it right and make sure that people are connected to it. Yeah. So you're talking past my pay grade. It's okay. Right, so. so I just wanted to say that that was a really heady question I'm that just, that person asked you. I'm just an Indian. I'm not. <laughs> you, you like to say that. But, um, but anyway, the downside of process for me is chew down, which is you have to, like, I'm actually just telling you about process and I'm already losing it. most of the listeners and <laughs> and you, my conversation partner, and I'm not even doing process. I'm telling you about it. Okay, it's it really is a complete conversion, and so yeah. it's almost nearly incompatible. It's I jokingly say, you know, it's the difference between a Mac and a PC. Like, uh-huh. even though now they figured out how to talk to each other, but um, they're just two different operating systems yeah. and two different languages. Okay, yeah. But I think it holds a great upside. I love it as a conversation partner because it corrects so many of the problems that I hate about Christian history. Right. So um, we'd have to go into those individually uh, for me to... I'm, I work better with some concrete examples, ah, and right. so um, you know we've been dealing in theory. So yeah. so at some point maybe we want to do uh, a program. Ah, that. yeah, but, listeners, uh, if you and, want us, and then that way, if those who don't want to mm-hmm. talk, that well, they'll that's know true. this is about process, and no, yep. that's that's the one I want to hear, or that's not the one. Yeah, I I'll hear. skip that one. <laughs> I'll go listen to Randy's um, chapel service again. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate the right. fact that uh, that you're on top of all that, and you've done a lot of thinking about it. That's important. Well, let's get concrete then. The second question was, how does a person become who claims to be a Christian mm-hmm. become a killer? And an oppressor. Yeah, and so the question really was uh, that I had asked was, how do people who call themselves by Christ's name become people who kill, steal, and destroy in Christ's name? Mm. Which, as you know, that's always attributed to uh, the devil, right? He comes to steal, Uh, kill, and destroy. And yet the Christians are the ones who have done it so often in in history. Oh, weird. So that, a little irony there. It is weird that that always gets attributed to like a glitch in the system, mm-hmm. but not a corrupted system. Exactly. And when you say that that stuff's exceptional, but the rule is good, but those are the exceptions, you really sort of create a cycle of violence and abuse by always justifying the exception. Right. And you basically show your ignorance of history. Because... Um, well, there's that. How many times does it have to happen before you say, oh, well, those people weren't really Christians, you know, which is always the answer. Well, they weren't real Christians. I hear that all the time. I hear that. And, and, and you're going to hear people say it about every period in history. Yeah. You're going to hear them talk about it at the Crusades. You're going to hear yeah. them talk about it with the um, Doctrine of Discovery. You're going to hear them talk about it with uh, the um, 
the boarding school thing, and you're going to hear him talk in native boarding schools and, and manifest destiny and, you know, on and on and on. It's like, well, how many times do we have to say, well, those weren't real Christians? Well, where are the real Christians in history then? <laughs> yeah. Yikes. Um, you know what it made me think of is uh, James K.A. Smith is just one of my favorite people to read or listen to. Now, I have a huge disagreement with him in that he seems to think that Eucharist is going to fix everything that's wrong with the world. Okay. And I just don't know what the hell he's talking about. <laughs> but his diagnosis of the problem is good. So I just wanted to point people to two interesting things. Uh, his newest book is called You Are What You Love. Mm. And... Um, it's based in like Augustine, and so the ordering of our loves, and it sort of our it presents the idea that many of the things that we find difficult in our culture, one of the reasons we're talking past each other is that we all love sort of the same things, but just in a different order. The thing that I wanted to point people to is I found a lecture, and I can send this to anybody who's interested. If you email connect at piecingitalltogether.com, I will send you a link to this thing. James K. Smith was on, uh, he, he presented this thing in uh, Australia, and it's called The Devil Has All the Best Stories. Mm-hmm. And he starts by saying, what would cause a young man who's part of a farm town of a couple hundred people to volunteer for the army, to go across the ocean to a place he's never been and kill people he's never met. Exactly. So this thing of the stories that we're conscripted into is such a powerful thing. And, um, Absolutely. It, and it opens up a whole conversation for me about um, like part of what I did my PhD in is this thing called social imaginaries. Right. So it's just the way we talk about things. We create these empty categories and then we fill them with meaning, like red states and blue states. Yeah. There really is no such thing. It's it's a placeholder, but then we forget what it's holding the place for and it takes on a life of its own. Yeah. And that's what's used. Those social imaginaries are used, um, if I understand how you're using mm-hmm. this, um, for the exact same thing that you talked about for war. Yeah. You know, we f- we create an enemy right. in the minds of people, and then we go to kill the enemy. Well, we have a war on terror right now. Yeah. Terror is a social imaginary. Yeah. It's not a place or a people. Like, how will we know when we've won against terror? Yeah. So what causes... Okay, so your answer is social imaginary. Yeah. Okay. And my answer is the Western worldview. Yeah. Is corrupted. Yeah. Is there compatibility there? Oh, yeah. Well, yes, because probably the most powerful social imaginary is nationalism. Okay. So, like, if you think about it, you know, money is a social imaginary. It doesn't actually exist except that we participate in it. So if I I work for an hour and people give me four pieces of paper, like $50 bills, and then I take it to my mechanic and I said, hey, I'll give you these four pieces of paper if you'll fix my car – it only works if my mechanic will participate right, right in the system. Right. Oregon doesn't exist. Yeah. Oregon only exists if we participate as if it does. It's a social right. imaginary. Yeah. The land doesn't know whether it's Oregon or Idaho. Right. Nation states don't exist. Yeah. And so... I mean, there's no actual line when you go no, across the border to Canada or no. Mexico. Right. right. And so, you know, it, by the way, anytime you look at a map and you see a straight line, mm-hmm. it's a social imaginary. Yes. <laughs> uh, but the other thing is nations are the same sort of thing. They're the most powerful thing. 
and they are right in your in your way they are the Frankenstein of the Western worldview. Okay. All right. So, so we'll get, that sounds we're like saying very we can flesh out the yeah, more some very similar things. Yeah. All right. So that third question was about God's concern for salvation. I don't know that we need to comment more on that, except that I was fascinated that, that you uh, were careful to articulate that Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection, right? All of those matter. Yes. And the reason that caught my attention is because I have had many debates with some of my Reformed friends, and specifically people who are in this thing called the Gospel Coalition, mm-hmm. where they use the shortcut where they say the life, death, and resurrection, or the birth, death, and resurrection. And it's such a weird shortcut because it leaves out the teaching of Jesus, mm-hmm. the model of Jesus' life, Jesus' interactions with people of different cultures. Like, it's an unsatisfying shortcut. That's why their theology is all effed up right there. <laughs> because they they aren't telling the whole story. Right. There's a whole story there yeah. that we know. we got the story that we know, right? Yeah. And the whole story makes sense together. But when you take parts of that story out, you can come up with all kinds of heresies. Oh. Or I don't actually like that word. You can come up with all kinds of effed up stories <laughs> and approaches. So... Um, uh, we have the explicit rating, right? We can say even we, that. We can say more if we want. We could if we wanted to. Okay. So um, it's uh, it's pretty messed up when you leave out like a whole per- – well, uh, what if we talk about my birth and my death mm. uh, or anybody else's and forget our life? Or what if we just talk about the life and yep. don't talk about the rest? Of, that's all part of the same story, right? Right. So it only makes sense when it's all together, or else you're only telling part of the story. There's something dishonest about that. Yeah. Just tell the story. I like that. I don't know what that guy was asking about. I know he was was hearing something he wanted to follow up on. I I couldn't see what he was seeing, but I did like your answer, even though I don't exactly understand what was the concern of his question. Mm Mm-hmm. I think um, I think he wanted to know what I do with the basic the cross, right? Uh, so the cross is the big concern, I think, for a lot of uh, Christians and Reformed people, and they build their whole theologies on that, right? But it doesn't even make sense to talk about the kind of death that Jesus died, uh, unless you talk about the kind of life that he lived and the things that he said and the power structures which he challenged. And then, and then it makes sense also because of, if you think about the whole story of the incarnation, so it all is consistent, right? It's all one message. And if you just talk about the death, you can make up all kinds of stuff, you know, that makes sense to you, but they don't make sense if you look at the whole story, right? That is interesting. So, so in the incarnation and in the life and in the death... You see the vulnerability of the creator. That's the that's the the mega theme or the heuristic yeah. theme or whatever you want to call it. That is what how I understand the you know the Trinity, um, uh, Jesus coming to Earth in a vulnerable uh, position, a refugee hanging out with the people he hung with, with the poor, not having a place to lay his head half his life. You know all of these kinds of things. Um, who he protected, who he empowered, 
all of who he challenged, all of those kinds of things, now all of a sudden that death makes sense. But if you only look at, you know, like the sort of story that people like to look at, well, well, human beings are flawed and sinful and deserve death. And so Jesus' death, you know, somehow substitutes for them, you know, then all of a sudden you got a whole different thing. And uh, I don't think it's the, the thing at all that God's interested in. I think the, the thing God's interested in is us to realize that God is a vulnerable being who also has power, but chooses to empower those who are disempowered. Wow. That just got way more interesting. Okay. I'm glad I've asked. See, sometimes the follow-up questions are more interesting or telling than the original questions. So that's fantastic. All right, so the next uh, one was about Ubuntu and welcoming the other. And you answered uh, really in-depth there, and we've heard you talk before about those different concepts. But the part that um, was unique was the part about the welcoming the other. And she specifically named um, those who are differently abled or uh, homosexual. And so I don't know that school uh, very well. I don't know kind of what the the ethos and the temperature is there. But I know that for many people, they're trying right now to figure out, um, you know, what are the limits of our welcoming and where do we draw the line? Well, I think that's the wrong question. Right. right. If we begin with limits, right. then we're excluding. Right. So I don't think that Jesus was an excluder. Um, I, I think... Uh, as I understand, the, as, as best I can, the great mystery creator, the DNA is this sort of unity and diversity. Mm. It, God can't be unified without being diverse. It's impossible. It has to, it has to ref, be both um, unity and diversity in every uh, thing that is created that we can see is uh, completely uh, modeled after that. That's the DNA. There's unity and there's diversity. Um, I'm looking outside, those leaves all look the same, and yet everyone's different. Every blackbird's different, even though they all look the same, and they're all blackbirds, you know. Mm. Um, human beings, and then our retinal patterns, and our, you know, our fingerprints, and on and on and on. Everything is diverse, but everything, so there's no, nothing singular within the whole multiverse. Mm. Even down to the, the, the most um, microscopic, super microscopic, you know, the uh, quarks. Um, the quarks are, you know, what quarks are right. Mm-hmm. So the the dudes that figured out, and the dudes and and gals, I don't know what we say, ladies and mm-hmm. gentlemen, who created uh, the uh, ability to see the quarks in the atom. Um, they knew they were there. They just had never seen them before, and they're different colors. And but the thing is, this is crazy about the quarks. This is the smallest thing that we can see on Earth. They're none of them by themselves. They all hang together. So, so there might be three over here, and five here, and seven here, and then you know one or two here, and you know nine here, and you know etc. But they're never by themselves. So there's nothing singular. And so this is to me one of the arguments for Trinity. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's this unity and diversity that's like you like to say baked in the bread. Mm-hmm. It's there, and there's also this um, uh, sort of uh, opportunity then for community to emerge. So Trinity is the first opportunity for community. It's, you know, one is, you know, if it's uh, one God, there's one. If there's two uh, in God, then there's A and B and B and A. But all of a sudden when you introduce C, there's all these, um, you know, uh, various uh, different, um, what do we call those in math? Uh, uh, Variables. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's There's a word for that I'm looking for that I can't find. 
Um, but there, uh, there's all these possibilities, right? And, uh, and it's the first chance, I would say, for community. Hmm. And so community then is expressed throughout all creation. Um, and, uh, and, and, of course, community is expressed in human beings. And uh, this is part of, you know, what I think Jesus was about was forming community. God's interested in community. Um, and in community, all community is diversity and there's unity. If we end up just trying to be homogeneous, if we just try to be the same, then we can never experience the fullness of life. And so it takes the other, it takes the different person, the differently abled, the, you know, whatever the category is that you want to use, to be able to, to number one, show us how limited we are as human beings, which is a good thing, right? That's a good thing. It's, that is vulnerable. That is being vulnerable. That's uh, putting ourselves out there and realizing that we ourselves are limited and we have weakness. We have uh, areas that in life that we need to grow and it helps us because that's our vulnerability, I think, reflects the mm. Creator most. And so if we're reflecting the Creator through this vulnerability, that's a good thing. We're actually at our most spiritual time mm. when we're doing that. So allowing um, the uh, acceptance of the other is what actually makes us more spiritual. And more, uh, I guess you would say, as the, the human beings whom Creator has made us to be. And so uh, we, we can't afford to um, walk through this earth and not see the differences and not mm. learn to embrace the differences, no matter how different they are. Yeah. So. Randy, I, honestly, that was beautiful and inspiring, and you've clearly thought a lot about this. It actually makes my heart sad that for whatever happened after... Um, we read about Jesus and then we, we start to see the line drawing in the early churches in the acts, but whatever we've become, you know, through Christendom and the Constantinian compromise and all that stuff that gets talked about, but this in out club, um, of, of belonging and line drawing, it is so sad that when you actually read the story that the narrative that we're based on, it's just, you just think, what's happened? What have we become? It really does break my heart. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's where I've been for quite a while. Wow. The last question was about original instructions. The only reason I bring this one up uh, is because the guy listed several other things that he had categories for, like uh, natural theology or... Um, so I think what he was alluding to is things that are like universal or we call them like perennial approaches to religion. Um, but you actually have a unique thing with this original instructions because you're not starting where we are and trying to find something common in all of them, right? Because that would be sort of a perennial approach. You are trying to say at its most basic in the, in the earliest days – this is how this all got started. And I think that's an important distinction. Yeah. And, and I don't need a particular myth to do that. We all have our own versions of a myth. And it doesn't matter to me whether you believe they're all different versions of the same myth or we all have different myths. But somehow, yeah. and, and, and I think that is through natural uh, theology or whatever, that, that we basically all come to the understanding in our natural state um, 
and I don't want to become too uh, much of a, a, a like Rousseau, you know, uh, the the noble savage yeah, in the yeah. natural state kind of a thing. But but in our most primal state, um, we know some things, right? We we have to, and maybe we call this the age of innocence. And maybe this is where all the myths come from, right? So uh, in the age of innocence, we know. I don't want to be hurt, so I shouldn't hurt others. Mm. I don't want to, you know, someone to take my spouse, so I don't take someone else's spouse. I don't want to be killed, so I don't kill. And this is the the most basics. And I think what we've done then is is to um, to look at that. We call that harmony. Yeah. And there's sort of like parameters um, in life that harmony exists um, in relationships. Uh, with the earth, with other people, uh, with the creator. And, and, and those at least 10 things that I discovered in my dissertation work, um, what I call the, the um, uh, basic um, principles of Native American or Native American values, basically. Um, somehow, that I can't, I'm not saying, well, this is it, this is the perfect 10 or anything like that. I'm just saying somehow we're knocking at the right door, hmm. right? And, and if, if indigenous people all over the place have these, you know, and I know people now all around the whole world who say these are our values, then, then and, you know, this was, these values don't come from the age of social media. These mm-hmm. values come, you know, from thousands and thousands of years ago, mm-hmm. and the stories are thousands of years old. Um, well, then what is that? That is basically sounds like something to live by. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do we get along in this earth? We go back to those values. Wow. Well, this has been fun. I really love that I, you know, I got to listen to this Q and R, something that I wasn't at, and then I get to follow up with you and go, "What about this? And what about this?" Yeah, so I that's, bet we could start a lot of conversations. Yeah. yeah. So, listeners, if you want to jump in on the conversation, uh, you can join us on Facebook. Um, post a comment or question there uh, in the. Underneath this uh, post, you can comment in the show notes on this episode on our website. Uh, You can tweet at us. Um, You can email us at connect at piecingitalltogether.com. You can support us on Patreon and uh, join the conversation that we have coming up. We're going to have another live Zoom chat. And if you want to bring up this or any of the other topics, we would love to have you. Thank you for listening in and for being a part of the conversation. We love talking with each other, but we're really loving expanding the conversation and hearing from you. Yeah, we really do. I I appreciate so much when people take the time and let us know what they're thinking. So uh, thanks. Good on you. And peace out.